When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fine Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. Joining me this week is a new guest to Pod Dylan, not a new guest to the network, but to Pod Dylan. Welcome, our pal Zoom Yukonori. Hello, Zoom. Hello, Mr. Kelly. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. I'm very excited to have you here. We are going to be talking about one of the classics of the Dylan canon, Subterranean Homesick Blues, the opening track from his 1965 album, Bringing It All Back Home, uh, his first electric song, at least the first one released that was done electrically. Uh, This was one of his big hits. It was a top 40 hit. It remains one of the most iconic songs probably in all of pop history and certainly one of his most iconic songs, partly thanks to the video. Uh, Yes, there was a video made in 1965. Bob Dylan's always ahead of the curve. Uh, But we'll get to that uh, momentarily. Uh, Zoom, why did you want to talk about Subterranean Homesick Blues? Well, um, just as a as a preface, I have to admit that I'm not the avid Bob Dylan fan or follower that you are, but but I do admire how his works have brought a, a number of social injustices to light and played a vital role in inspiring that countercultural movement that I feel has helped change some aspects of American society for the better. Um, and I did like a number of, of Mr. Dylan's songs that were more mainstream and quasi mainstream, but uh, you know, Subterranean Homesick Blues was my favorite. Basically, you know, I, I, at the time, you know, when I first heard it, it was a, a it was playing on the radio in the early 1970s, and, and I was born just two years before this song came out. So the era that was represented by this song, as well as the rest of Bob Dylan music of the day, was technically before my time. So I didn't have that grasp of the concepts of beat poetry or stream of consciousness when I first heard it. I I just liked it because it was a catchy tune, <laughs> and and I was fascinated by the challenging lyrics. Um, to use a more modern example, you know those songs like It's the End of the World as We Know It, sure, uh, performed sure. by, by R.E.M. or We Didn't Start the Fire, sung by Billy Joel, or, or even One Week, uh, performed by the Bare Naked Ladies. They have those complex yet captivating lyrics that essentially challenge you to learn them just so you can sing it along to it and, and impress all your friends. <laughs> or at the very least, impress yourself. And, and this song was like that, and it was the first song like that that I've actually encountered in my life. But it was not until I was in my later teenage years, and I was I was studying American history of the 1960s. Did I fully gain a, a better understanding and appreciation of, of all those anti-establishment messages that are behind the lyrics of the song? Uh, or at least I believe I have a better understanding because, you know, Mr. Dillon um, has a brilliant use of metaphor that, that can in time take... Um, at times takes on uh, multiple layers of meaning. So there are kind of different interpretations to certain lines of the song, depending on who you ask. Yes. Uh, I mean, th- yeah, this thing throws uh, so much at you, and in less than, it's this two minutes and 20 seconds, uh, and yet there is pretty much all of the 60s <laughs> jumbled into this song. I mean, there's a line about, better stay away from those who carry around the fire hose. Oh, which yes. Which, of course, yes. is a reference to the civil rights movement, which you know might be lost on people nowadays, but I'm sure in 1965 that line just jumped right out at people. I mean, I can't imagine... 
what this must have sounded like to people in 1965. Because, I mean, first of all, Dylan, as I said, this was his first electric song. Now, he had done some other songs with electric backing before this, and they had been recorded, but they had not been released. So to this point, Bob Dylan had done only acoustic uh, songs, at least to, you know, his, as far as his fans knew. So for him to lead off an album with this, it really is just like kicking down your door and, and, you know, getting in your face. And then the fact that it doesn't even really have a melody, it's really a rap. I mean, he's rapping here, uh, <laughs> you know. <laughs> that, that is one way of putting it, yes. Yeah, I mean, 1965, this must have just been ear-splitting. And there's a scene in the film Don't Look Back, the documentary, where he's on tour in England, and the, the English fans are only getting the acoustic albums. There was, I guess, some sort of lag in what they got. But one of the – he runs into these two British girls – and one of them gets right in his face and tells him that she didn't like the new one that much, meaning subterranean homesick blues. And she says something like, it's just a bunch of noise. And uh-huh. he, he sort of dismissively says, okay, you're one of those. And he just sort of signs her autograph and leaves her. But, you know, so he was getting, people were getting in his face. as like, I don't like this, but boy, this Well, is- the other thing, well, I mean, the, these are British people. They may not have a full sense of what American culture was like because he's really referencing a lot of American culture. Like what you were saying, you know, the the stay away from those that carry around the fire hose. Those are those are the the way the police were were dealing with those protesters during the civil rights movement uh, for the black population. So you yeah, know, I I, I, don't, I, don't know, yes. I don't know if those I don't know if those British fans would really have a, a full understanding or appreciation of of what of what those lyrics would mean. Yeah, I mean, he still had a lot of uh, very young uh, fans, which is sort of remarkable when you think about it. There was a lot of cross sort of between him and the Beatles and. You know, but yet he's leading a song off with Johnny's in the basement, mixing mixing up the medicine, which, right. is, which is talking about codeine distillation. Oh yes, yes. Takes. I mean, I mean from, from cough little... medicine, obviously, yeah. because of the man in the trench coat he <laughs> had that bad cough and wanted his bribe paved off. You know, so yeah. I mean, this is <laughs> but yeah, that that yeah. sets up the perspective of the song right away, doesn't it? And and um, you know, I'm on the pavement thinking about the government, and and again, that can take many uh, personal interpretations depending on which aspect of the government at the time was concerning you, whether it was federal government escalating U.S. involvement in the Vietnam War, or the local government's attempt to suppress the civil rights movement, as we mentioned, or maybe you just had a tax audit coming. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot of uh, again for how sort of jovial the, the the song is. I mean, to me, this is a song you cannot not sing along to. I guess I find myself singing along to it instantly, although that's true of most Dylan songs. But this one in particular, it's just so fun to sing to, sing along to. Yes, and it is. And yet it's got a lot of, to me, very, uh, maybe not creepy is the word, but ominous lyrics. I mean, you said you're talking about the man in the trench coat and then the whole right. bit about look out, kid, they keep it all hid. Which oh, yes. to me is, you know, one of the great warnings uh, about life, you know. I mean, and, and who can't, who doesn't relate to that? And whether it's the day is your parents or the police, or the government, or right. the media. I mean, just that idea of somebody yelling at you, someone else who was seeing sort of the truth of things, which is the Dylan position, and he's telling you, look out, kid. They keep it all hid. Uh, that's, you know, like, wow, okay, there's a lot going on here. And then the whole bit of Dan, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows, which became yes. part of the culture that uh, that terrorist group 
uh, if you want to, depending on how you want to call. I mean, they blew up buildings. I'm I'm really ready to call them terrorists. <laughs> yes, uh, yes, you know, I know. Just because you're on the left doesn't mean you're not a terrorist. They blew up buildings, and their name were the Weathermen, and they took it from this song. I think Dylan would probably probably was pretty horrified at that idea. But you don't need I, a weatherman I, I, to know which way the wind blows. You know, that's another one of like we all know what's going on. It may not be reported, but and so you don't need someone. You don't need almost someone like me to tell you what's going on. Right, exactly, and and um, yeah, that, that I, I always interpret it as you know, think for yourself, and and don't necessarily be swayed by mainstream society or popular opinion or those leaders that he tells us not to follow later in the song. In fact, he may he also be taking a knock at himself as well, because most of the lyrics of this song are essentially giving advice to this kid. <laughs> right? Yeah, Dylan loves doing that. He loves subverting his own messages even within his songs. There's another bit in here: twenty years of schooling, and they put you on the day. Shift, oh which, yes, yes. Oh boy, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's, a, that's a knock at mainstream society for sure, and and I, I like how he builds up to it by basically creating a summary of going through the stages of life. You know, get born, get warm, the birth and the nurturing, and then short pants is childhood. Romance, learn to dance, could be the adolescence, and get dressed, get blessed, try to be a success, and oh, the video too. We'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, please her, please him. Oh goodness! You know, we were talking. About, we were talking about multiple layers of metaphor, and that just opens the door for ridiculous interpretations by some people. Because I've actually heard that there were people that claimed that the line "Please her, please him" was concrete proof that Mr. Dylan is bisexual. <laughs> okay. Which is which is just utter nonsense, you know. And then there's that self-proclaimed Dylan expert. Uh, what's his name? A.J. Weberman oh, or yeah, Weberman the, 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 or whatever. Weberman, yeah, the garbage guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he presented the lyrics at the end. The pump don't work because the vandals took the handles as evidence that Mr. Dylan is racist against blacks. And and I'm not going to bother going into his lengthy reasoning behind that belief because uh, it's just utter nonsense. Yeah, I always took that line to be uh, a little bit of a knock on modern culture. Uh, yes, that, that yes. he himself was representing. I mean, he was he was saying, "Hey, the pump don't work anymore because the vandals took the handles." That's that's a kind of like in the old days it would have worked because you didn't have vandals stealing things, and now you do. Which I, you know, that that, that that was Dylan to me. That line is him hearkening back to a time of his childhood where maybe things weren't quite like that. Uh, right, you know? exactly. Yeah, maybe he was simply explaining why a water pump in his old neighborhood wasn't functioning, but. You know, right, I, yeah. I, I, I have that same romantic notion as you, that, that basically it was an illusion signifying how that idyllic um, American society of the early 1960s was really, in truth, corrupt. And, yeah. and it was, or at least not as perfect as they would have everyone think. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, there are some people that take it as a literal warning sign that, you know, when, when handles are removed from gas pumps, that means a drug bust is about to go down. Really? Yeah, I, I've read that somewhere. I've I, I can't remember where, that. but. Oh, I know. I, I know. It's it's huh. like I said, multiple interpretations that are kind of crazy. I'm, I'm sure there. I'm sure we'll get some comments here where, from people that say, "Oh, yeah, I heard that too," or you know, that Zoom knows nothing. <laughs> no one will ever say that Zoom. Now, come on. Uh, this was uh, sonically. It was borrowed from a couple different songs. Uh, he talked about Dylan himself was talking about that he borrowed it from Chuck Berry's "Too Much Monkey Business." Uh, ah, yes. And some scat songs of the 1940s. There's a uh, Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger song called Taking It Easy, which features the line, Mama's in the kitchen preparing to eat. Sis was in the pantry looking for some yeast. Uh, and there is a, um acoustic version of this. There was an acoustic version cut for the Bringing It, on, bringing it All Back Home sessions. And luckily, uh, it's on the Bootleg series. It's, it's fine, but it doesn't just have the power of of this version i mean it just this thing is just such a a freight train 
coming at you and uh, the fact that there's so little sort of time between the, the phrases. Uh, I mean, you're just barreled into one thing after the next, and you da 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 You know, it's just oh, yes. got that repetitive motion. And maybe if the song ran longer than 220, it would be too much, but it really sort of gets out of town right at the right moment. You know, it's just, it's this burst of energy, and you're left like, whoa, wait, what? And, you know, like right. I said, I, I can't not but sing along to it. It's, it's just yeah, it's it, so catchy. Right, exactly. It's very catchy, and, and there's a lot of concepts thrown at you, and there's so many layers of metaphors, and also it tends to shift um, tone, because there are times when he seems to be talking as part of the youth counterculture, and he's just kind of warning what's going on with, you know, drug bus coming, and be careful, and, you know, keep a clean nose, and try not to attract attention with the police, and then there are other times where it almost sounds like he's, he's mocking the advice from mainstream society, <laughs> where, you know, try to be a success and, and um, you know, uh, stay away from those who carry around a fire hose. So, you know, that, that could almost be like, like what the uh, mainstream society would tell somebody. You know, don't, don't get involved in that. You don't want to get involved in that type of thing, you know. So, so it, it's kind of hard to tell where he's, where he's shifting his, uh, his perspective on the song, which I, I think just adds to, the, to my fascination for it. Yeah, I also love the, uh, the, the throwaway bit about the phone's tapped anyway. Yes. Which, you know, boy, that jumps right out of you nowadays. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, but, I, think, I think when he says that talking, talking that the heat put plants in the bed, I think they were, the plants are actually the microphones, the, right. the bugs. Yes. Yeah. I, yes, absolutely about that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, again, it's the, the sort of shruggy delivery of some of these things. The mm-hmm. idea of your – I mean, the idea of conveying the phone is tapped anyway – yeah, that, that's a big idea and a very grim one, and it's just thrown away. Just not thrown away, but sort of just tossed off. Like a oh, phone stepped anyway. Yeah, you, Maggie yeah. said it. Maggie said, and he moves on to the next thing. And you know, to the average person, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? Yeah, well, yeah, it 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 it's kind of uh, rings of paranoia, but mm-hmm. the way it's just tossed aside, like you said, you know, it's it's more like just everyday. Everyday paranoia, I suppose. <laughs> How to describe it, you know? Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you, of course. That, that's true. And, uh, yeah, that's true. It, in fact, uh, in fact, I think um, it, you know, if we want to go to the video, one of the cue cards said, "Here they come." When they say, "Look out, kid," you know. That so. is the perfect, perfect segue zone. Yeah, yes. the, the video. This uh, this is uh, done as a short video. It, it opens the film. Don't look back. This is one of the earliest. Uh, rock videos before there was such a thing as a music video. You know, it was not, it was shot as a separate thing. It was done. They yes, did it, was a, it was a music film. Yeah, music film. Yeah, it's very pretentious <laughs> uh, sounding. Sorry, forget Several it. Different I'm, trying, vi- I'm trying to be funny. <laughs> Several different versions were shot. There was one on the roof of the hotel, and then there was another one done in a public park, but then it's yeah, the that, one. Yeah, that was the embankment garden that was near the Savoy Hotel. Right, right, right. And so, but the one that everybody's familiar with was in the alley of the Savoy. And yeah, I mean, good Lord, the, the idea of him holding up the cards became. That is one of those things that I grew as I grew up. I did not know was Dylan's. I've seen. I I grew up, you know, just seeing it in other contexts, right. not knowing it was anything from Bob Dylan. In Excess, which was a big band when I was a, a teenager, that, yep. they did one, and it was all right the cards. in their Mediate, mediate follow up right, to their exactly, yeah, yeah. I need to I need you tonight video. That was the first time I saw that concept too. Yeah, and I didn't know that it was a Dylan thing. And now and now it's like yeah, that, it's just and it's so daring. Sort of in 1965 to aim, first of all, shooting a music video was, was very strange, but then to have him just stand there and just flip these cards. And as you say, sometimes there's words in there that are not in the song, uh, which is right, or, the, or they're misspelled intentionally, yeah, right. like the. 
like the the line about eleven dollar bills, it, it actually read as twenty dollar bills. Right. <laughs> so, or, or the there was a cue card that said pig pen when the official lyrics, at least according to the Bob Dylan site, say big pen because um, you know for the longest time I thought the man in the coonskin cap was by a pig pen because of that <laughs> because of that card. And and there are many lyric sites that actually think the actual line is pig pen as well. And I'm sure that amuses Mr. Dylan to no end. Yes, I'm sure he loved that. Yeah, and this is the idea of like in the background you see uh, Allen Ginsberg and right. uh, who's the I forget who the other guy is that they're talking. About. Uh, it, Bob Bob Newworth. Oh, it's he Bob Newworth, singer right, songwriter, okay, right. singer songwriter, and, and my understanding is they helped Dylan actually write those words on the cards along with Donovan as well, who I believe was not on the video. Yeah, just the fact that they're in the background talking and they're not part of the video, and then they just right. walk away, and then the whole video ends with the word what. Yes, and yes. Marks and Bob just drops the cards and walks off, and it's all yeah, done. In yeah. one, it's all one take. It's all just right, one right. shot. Yeah, and and I think that last card, along with you know just the fact that there were incorrect cue cards, um, <laughs> the the cheek of some of those cue cards with the phonetic spelling of parking mitas and and the beginning the word success with s u c k, and then that just that last card what and just walking off. I, I think Mr. Dillon was kind of taking the piss out of himself a little bit. <laughs> he loves to do that. Uh, yeah, I mean, he just he doesn't take any of this terribly seriously, and yet there's a lot of serious stuff buried in the song, which is just remarkable. Uh, Concert-wise, it was never played live until 1988. So mm. this, this thing sat in Bob's head for 23 years, and it has only been played 120 times uh, from 1988 through 2002. He hasn't played it in over 15 years. I can see why. It's probably not a song that he can really dig into. Uh, I think it's, he loves to reinterpret his songs musically. I don't think this is one of those songs that I've never heard a live version of it. Um, I, it just doesn't seem like something that you can do a lot with in terms of the musicality. So I can imagine it probably bores him a little to just do, I mean, I can't picture a slow acoustic version of subterranean homesick blues. Well, that is true. And it is, it is very much rooted in the time that, the, yeah. the song came from as well. In fact, you know, the, the live versions I heard were done by Alanis Morissette and uh, Murphy Brown and Frank Fontana. Right. <laughs> yes, we need to explain that. There's, uh, oh, if, you yes. go, if you go to the, uh, the Wikipedia page for the song, there are literally hundreds of instances of this either being covered, being mentioned in the context of another song, or being mentioned in, in pop culture. So why don't you explain that Murphy Brown reference? Oh, oh, sure, yes. Well, you know, this was back when I was in Malaysia in the 1990s. I was watching imported reruns, and there was an episode uh, with a flashback of when Murphy and Frank Fontana first met in Phil's bar before they were both about to audition to join the FYI program. And this was in the summer of 1977, and I know that because that's the title of the episode. So keep that in mind, all you people that want to search for this on YouTube. <laughs> Anyway, um, Murphy and Frank are both sporting these ridiculous 1970s looks, you know, and they essentially have to convince each other that they're really not part of the so-called disco scene by reciting the lyrics from the first verse of the song in, a, in kind of like a duet challenge. And they do this flawlessly. And, of course, you know, I was reciting the lyrics in my head right along with them as I was watching, which was, which was great. <laughs> And of course, in the end of the episode, when uh, which takes place in the current day of then 1989, uh, the two characters reenact that moment in the same bar. But then, of course, a few of the lyrics are kind of replaced with something, something, because they kind of forgot. And I don't know <laughs> if that has to do with them just getting older or just being more far removed from their youthful rebellion. That's a terrific. I used to watch that show, and I watched it at the time, so I'm sure I did not get that reference because I was just had not. 
I think Dylan was just coming into my life at that point, so I probably would not have got. I probably just would have been like, okay, well, I don't know what they're talking about, but that's great. I want to go back and find that because that's that's a that's a wonderful moment. Yes, you you know, Rob, you I told you how I first encountered the song, but I don't think you told us. Um how you first encountered the song. Uh, I think I, I'm sure I saw the video probably first, uh, bring it. I mean, when I was getting into Dylan back in 89 and I just started buying the albums, you know, I bought the ones that were the most famous first, you know, I did a little reading and it was like, everyone all talked about highway 61 and blonde on blonde and blood on the tracks and bringing it all back home. And so that was one of the ones I bought. So I don't really remember whether this is, I heard it the first time on the album. I probably saw, the video maybe in 89 i don't i don't exactly know um the, you know in 89 vh1 and mtv were still occasionally showing bob dylan videos which is that's how old i feel uh, that they were doing that but uh, they might have shown it then i might have i might have seen it then but uh, i know i heard it on the album and it said it is just it's just such a punch to to hear it to hear it you know again after especially after the last thing you heard from him, which was another side of Bob Dylan, which is all acoustic and all the songs are pretty slow and very kind of meandering. And then this thing is 220, punchy, just boom, 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 and move right on to the next song. So uh, uh, it remains one of my favorites of his because it's just so much fun to sing along to. And I I will never sing in public because I'm horrible, but in the privacy of my car where no one can hear me, I sing quite loudly to the song. So it's good stuff. Well, I'm sure one day on one Fire and Water podcast, if you're singing '80s hits, I'm sure we'll hear you sing this song <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Look, I can't. No, I'm talking. <laughs> so anyway, uh, okay. Is that? Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about Subterranean Homesick Blues? You want to wrap it well, up here? Like, like you said, it's just fun to sing, and and I guess to sum it up, you know, this song is a, a brilliant example of how Mr. Dylan can string words and rhymes together in a way that appears to be haphazard on the surface, yet can evoke so much meaning to so many people. That's a great way to end it. That's perfect. So let's, uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to where you can pick up this song. You can buy it on the album, as I said, bringing it all back home. And it's also available on the, like pretty much all the, uh, Dylan greatest hits compilations that have ever been. This song is always on there. So it's quite easy to find and go watch the video on YouTube. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, Oh yes, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. (laughs) If I may say, if I may say, Rob, I, I just have to tell you, it's such a joy to me to witness somebody else express their joy about something they love, like what you do here on Pod Dylan and, and, and what your fellow podcasters and you do on the Fire and, and Water Network every week. So thank you so much for allowing me to be part of that. Well, thank you very much. Uh, it was really, I loved having you on Film and Water a little while ago, and this is great having you on Pod Dylan too. I always love to talk to new people about Bob's stuff. So this was, this was a whole lot of fun. And one other thing I do want to mention about this song is that uh, the footage for this video for Subterranean Homesick Blues is reappropriated for Bob's video for his song Series of Dreams, which I have mentioned before is my all-time favorite Dylan song. And they, they, they go and they digitally mess with the words on the cards. So you see Dylan in Subterranean Homesick Blues with different words uh, within the video for Series of Dreams, which was a lot of fun. He said Bob is not precious about his back material. He'll let anything get futzed with, uh, I think, if he thinks it's a... Uh, it's going to be interesting. So uh, check that video, too. You can go down to Bob Dylan's um, YouTube page and see all of his videos there, even the bad ones. And yeah, uh, put, a, a little... put a link on the show notes for sure. I will do that. So, uh, Zoom, where can people find you on the Internet? Where can people find me? Well, uh, most of my online appearances of late have been on Facebook and Twitter under my own name. Uh, I'm still on medical leave from the line it is drawn, uh, which is a weekly sketch challenge feature on the comic book resources website. 
Um, that's where a select group of artists draw comic book and pop culture art based on Twitter suggestions around a weekly theme. Um, but I, I do have 192 weeks up there that you can find. I suppose it'd be nice to reach my 200th week sooner rather than later, so I may pop in with a submission a few more times before the year is out. But um, you should take the time to en enjoy the works of the other brilliant line artists while you're there, even if I'm not. So just visit cbr.com and type in the phrase, the line it is drawn in the search function, uh, and you'll find them all. And I apologize in advance for all of those pop-up ads. They're not my doing. I, <laughs> um, I also have a blog site that I've recently updated, uh, Omelette au Fromage, uh, which can be found at zoom yukonoriblogspotcom Hey, I got it right. Uh, <laughs> there you'll find one of my most early and, uh, I'll admit, awkwardly written posts as I try to explain my irrational attraction to Samantha Fox, which was not for the obvious irrational reason. Um, I'm also finishing up a rather bittersweet post about my first slow dance that I hope to have posted soon. But in the meantime, you can read about the one instance where I demonstrated my crack songwriting skills by co-writing an advertising jingle about underwear. And I do not believe even the illustrious Mr. Dillon can claim to have done that. Well, he did do a thing for Victoria's Secret, so he got close. Oh, well, he, there we go. He hasn't written a song about it, though. He just did the <laughs> ad. So I think you do have him beat in that regard. Well, there we go. So. Just, just, just a little bit. <laughs> just I, a little bit. So. Oh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm no Bob Dylan. <laughs> um, Nobody. And I've also been honored to have a small segment on the Fire and Water podcast uh, monthly Who's Who uh, podcast, which is called Zooms Who, my addendum to the definitive directory of the DC universe. Um, the last Zooms Who entry was the Kristen Wells Superwoman, and who will be next? Who knows? <laughs> and finally, well, you know, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to reveal this yet, Rob, but I will also be a guest on an episode of Rob Kelly's brilliant Pod Dylan podcast, in which we cover my favorite single, Subterranean Homesick Blues. Now, to find it, all you have to do is drag that seek slider on your podcast player all the way to the left and enjoy the show. Go wow. ahead, we'll wait. You're blowing my mind, Zoom. <laughs> For us, uh, if you want to find the show, it's, of course, on the network, firewaterpodcast.com. You can leave a comment there on the show thread or send us a message. Uh, and you can find the show on Twitter, which is at pod underscore Dylan. So, Zoom, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. This was great. Oh, yes, thank you. In fact, I'm inspired to create my own music podcast now called Zoom Love Sam, where I will express my appreciation for my favorite Samantha Fox songs from her Touch Me and self-titled albums of the 80s to the autobiographical Angel with an Attitude album of the nine of the noughties. And perhaps John Trumbull can join me in an ongoing attempt to convince me and the listeners that the reason I admire Samantha Fox has less to do with her song lines and more to do with her bust line. <laughs> That's a great tagline for your show. I think you're halfway there, man. So, thanks everybody for listening, and until uh, the next episode, uh, we'll see you later. Bye. Oh, get born, keep warm, short pants, romance. Learn to dance, get dressed, get blessed. Try to be success. Please her, please him. Buy gifts, don't steal, don't lift. Twenty years of schooling, and it put you on the day shift. Look out, kid, to keep it all hid. Better jump down a manhole, light yourself a candle. Don't wear sandals, try to afford the scandals. Don't wanna be a bum, you better chew gum The pump don't work cause the vandals took the handle Frank Fontana 
Murphy Brown. So you're going up for uh, one of these spots on FYI, huh? Right. You too? Yeah. I tell you, I'm kind of looking forward to it. I've never been on camera before. No kidding. What's your background? I'm a reporter from the New York Times. Wait a minute. Frank Fontana. Didn't you write that piece on the Mafia last year? That's right, I did. The one that got all the press? You were nominated for a Pulitzer. That's me. <laughs> I didn't like the piece. I found it very egocentric. Now, you see what you did? I have known you five minutes already. I don't like you. I mean, it's very possible we could both land this job today. We're both away from home. We've got no one to celebrate with. Maybe we could have celebrated together. Nice restaurant, bottle of champagne. Now it's ruined. You are trying to pick me up, aren't you? Of course I'm trying to pick you up. It's a spontaneous thing that guys do. It's a primal urge, like how we invented fire. It doesn't necessarily have to mean anything. Don't waste your time, okay? Go try it in a disco. I've never been to a disco. Come on, you got Bee Gees written all over you. I hate the Bee Gees. Admit it, you took hustle lessons. And what do you listen to? Casey and the Sunshine Band, yeah, am I right? Yeah, I don't own a record made past 1968. Oh, yeah? Johnny's in the basement, mixing up the medicine. I'm on the pavement, thinking about the government. Man in a trench coat, badge out, laid off. Says he's got a bad cough, wants to get it paid off. Look, Look out, out, kid, kid it's something, something you did. God knows when, but you're doing it again. Okay, you pass. <laughs>